Our reading tonight is from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. This can be found on page 1028 of the Bibles in front of you. Just Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. The boy Jesus at the temple. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for reading that passage from the end of Luke chapter 2 for us. Uh, Before we think about this passage in more detail, let's just pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the last few weeks when we have actually been working through the, the Christmas story, starting right at the beginning with the, uh, the coming of an angel to Zechariah to tell him about the, the coming of John the Baptist and following the story through. Uh, and so, Father, we come to the end of chapter 2, and, and this story, which, well, isn't quite part of the Christmas story, but Heavenly Father, it's there for our help and our benefit. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand its word to us this evening. Amen. Amen. Um, This part of Luke's gospel, the final part of chapter 2, I mean, it's an intriguing one. It's intriguing because it's difficult to know quite where to place it. I mean, as we said in the prayer over the last four Sundays, we have been working through what people call the Christmas story. Uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, uh, following through, in some ways, the most detailed account we have in the Gospels of the circumstances uh, of Jesus' birth. Um, but this bit, it's part of chapter 2, and I suppose it's logical to include it in this series, but, but this bit, well, it's not really part of the Christmas story at all, is it? It happened several years afterwards. But there again, it's not really part of what happens next. Because at the start of chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel, we're reading about John the Baptism and in due course the baptism of of Jesus and the start of Jesus' public ministry, which would lead all the way to Calvary some three years later. And, well, this bit, it isn't really part of that story either, is it? So it's difficult in some ways to know quite where to place it. And perhaps that suggests another question as well. It's difficult to actually figure out what exactly it's doing in Luke's gospel anyway. Jesus lived for about 33 years, and for most of those 33 years, we know absolutely nothing about what happened to him. 
The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us something about his birth. They tell us a great deal about his ministry after he was baptized by John the Baptist. But there's that long period of perhaps 30 years or so in which we have absolutely no idea what Jesus said or did with just this one exception. And why on earth was it that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to include this incident from those 30 years when I'm sure there were lots of other incidents that we'd love to know more about? Well, I'm afraid I'm not sure the answer to that question either. Um, But one thing that did strike me is that this particular incident didn't happen at a random time in the life of Jesus. It actually happened at quite a specific time. And Luke tells us very precisely when it happened. It happened at the first Passover after Jesus' 12th birthday. And that meant that it happened at a time when Jesus was in a time of transition. He was moving from being regarded as a child to being becoming part of the adult community. You know, very often... I don't know if people talk about teenagers anymore. Do people talk about teenagers anymore? Do they? Well, come and tell me. Yes or no? Sorry? All the time. Okay, that's good to know. You know, a hundred years ago, if you'd spoken about teenagers, people wouldn't have had the foggiest idea what you were talking about. The idea of being a teenager is a relatively modern invention. I mean, my dad, when he was... When he was 14 in 1934, he left school, he got a job, and effectively he became a a young adult. He was part of the working community. Uh, He never thought himself as being a teenager. He moved from school to work, uh, and there was none of that in-between bit when he was regarded as a teenager and regarded as a different form of life. And in many ways, my dad's experience was a lot closer to the world that Jesus lived in Uh, than the the world in which we live. At uh, 2,000 years ago, at the age of 12, Jesus would have been transitioning into the world of work, presumably something to do with his father Joseph's carpentry business. More significantly, at 13, a Jewish boy became officially recognized as an adult. He became a full, not a professional or not of a kind of, but he became a full member of the synagogue and was expected to start playing a part in the religious life of the community. And, of course, that's still the truth within the Jewish community today. Uh, The age of 13 is a very significant time for a boy brought up within the Jewish community. It's a significant rite of passage. It involves a religious ceremony. It's an excuse for a big celebration. So we're talking about a time when Jesus was getting ready for adulthood. And this visit to the temple for the Feast of Passover was almost certainly part of that getting ready. There were three major festivals in the Jewish religious year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And all Jewish adult men, that's 13 and older, were expected to go to Jerusalem for these festivals. Women would often choose to attend these as well. And at the time of Jesus, we understand that it was customary for responsible Jewish parents to take their sons who were coming up to the age of 13 to the temple with them. 
It was an opportunity for them to get used to the journey. It was an opportunity for them to get used to the temple. It was an opportunity for them to get used to the festival uh, before they actually turned 13 uh, and became, became regarded as, as adults as far as the Jewish faith was concerned. You know, we can't be sure of this, but it's quite possible that this was the first time that Jesus had visited the temple after the time he was dedicated, presented to God in the temple. And you read about that earlier on in Luke's gospel. Um, A significant point then, perhaps, in the life of Jesus. Nothing very much to do with the Christmas story. But, you know, as I was thinking about this passage, one of the things that struck me is that in this incident, there's a lot of continuity between what we read about here And what we've been reading about in the first two chapters of Luke up until this point. You know, one of the things that strikes you as you look at Luke chapter 1 and 2 is the sheer variety and the sheer spectacularness of God's activity. Um, Religiously, spiritually, the Jewish people living in in a dry time, in a quiet time. Um, you know, there weren't prophets being raised up all the time. Uh, there was, in a sense, a, a period when God seemed to be silent. He wasn't really saying very much that was new or different uh, to his people. And yet, at this time, you see an explosion of divine activity. Putting to one side the, the conception of Jesus, which is by any standards an extraordinary miracle, we have angels appearing to all sorts of people, to Zechariah and to Mary and to a, a random group of shepherds on the hills above Jerusalem. We have several people prophesying. If you were here this morning, we were hearing about two of those people, Simeon and Anna, and the other people who are prophesying under the inspiration of God. We have a man being struck dumb and then having his speech restored. And even in this section that we've just been reading, the implication is that the understanding that Jesus was displaying was beyond what was natural. For 400 years, God had been largely silent, and now God was in overdrive. There was so much happening. And alongside all this dramatic divine activity, we also read about a range of ways in which people responded to that, that activity. For instance, we have Zachariah, whose attitude and response was one of incredulity and disbelief. Couldn't see how it could happen. You have Mary displaying acceptance and trust. The shepherds, wonder and worship. Anna and Simeon, praise and thanksgiving. The teachers of the law in the temple as they listened to the, to the boy Jesus uh, showing, asking questions and responding to questions asked to him. They were amazed and astonished. But perhaps this section contains the most remarkable reaction of all, that of Joseph and Mary, who, who simply took him for granted. Do you remember that phrase towards the beginning of our reading? Thinking he was in their company. Verse 43 and 44. While his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Thinking Jesus was with them, they they got on with their lives and they set off for home. 
They assumed that everything was okay. Uh, They took Jesus' presence with them for granted. And here's the question for this evening. Might that be us too? Might that be our situation? Might that actually be the reality of our spiritual experience? As we think about the different reactions to God's activities we see in Luke 1 and Luke 2, perhaps we admire Mary's faith and acceptance. Uh, we, we, we try to imagine the shepherd's wonder. Uh, we recognize Anna and Simeon's thanksgiving. But it is it possible that the truth for us is that as we journey through life, we think Jesus is with us. But maybe is not. Mary and Joseph traveled a day's journey thinking that Jesus was with them. And perhaps the first thing to say about this is that, well, in one sense, that was a natural assumption for them to make. At the time when Jesus, at the time of Jesus, when people had to make a long journey, it was normal whenever possible to make that journey as part of a group. I mean, if you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, I mean, one of the first things you learn about from the parable of the Good Samaritan is that traveling by road was dangerous. There were risks. There were hazards. Uh, there were lots of things to be afraid of. And consequently, it made sense whenever possible, if you had a journey to make, to make that journey as part of a group. And so, obviously, in Nazareth, there would have been lots of people heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. And it was natural for people to travel together as a group. And and that was the custom. Whenever you had a journey to make, if it was possible, you traveled with other people. Lots of people in Nazareth would have making that journey. So Joseph and Mary and the boy Jesus would have made that journey in company of others. I suppose at the time of the Passover, Joseph and Mary would have agreed with their family, with their friends, on a time and a place for them to gather. And from there, they would have set off on the journey back to Jerusalem. Now, again, at the time of Jesus, it wasn't the custom to travel together as a family group. Uh, It was a different kind of world, a different set of social mores. And the custom in those days was that you would have a group of men. And they would walk together, and I suppose they'd be talking about whatever men talk about. And then you'd have a group of women, and they'd walk together, and I suppose they would talk about whatever women talk about. And if it was a larger group, you might have, well, you might have a group of men walking down the road, and then you'd have a group of women, and then perhaps another group of men, and so on. And people would carry on walking and talking as they journeyed back, in this case, from Jerusalem to Nazareth. So you can understand that it would have been very, very easy for Joseph and Mary to fall into this assumption. Remember, Jesus was on the cusp of adulthood. He wasn't quite a child. He wasn't quite an adult. And perhaps at this time, it would have been even more natural for Joseph to assume that, well, Jesus was with Mary. And equally natural for Mary to assume that Jesus was with Joseph. Or if not that, perhaps in one of the other groups with friends or relatives or whatever. And so they carried on their journey, assuming that Jesus was with them. Naturally thinking that Jesus must be there somewhere in one of those groups. And it was only when they got to the end of their day's journey that they actually realized that their assumption, though natural, 
was incorrect. And perhaps today, less has changed than we imagine. Because I suspect that for many people today, it's still natural to assume that Jesus is with them as they travel along life's journey. Sometimes it's natural for assume for people to assume that Jesus is with them because they've got a general belief in God and Christianity and spirituality and, and Jesus and all those things. Recent opinion polls suggest, for instance, that perhaps a third of the UK's population believe in God in a, a vaguely Christian understanding of that term. Lots of people, I guess, would aspire to behave morally and perhaps make reference to the Christian ethic in their lives. Uh, perhaps they have Christians in their family. Perhaps their parents were Christians. Perhaps they went to a, a Christian school. Perhaps someone like Aldrington. Perhaps they have, I mean, I was chatting to somebody in the run-up to Christmas, went to a Christian school, had very warm memories of Christingle services and all that sort of thing. You know, and they have this general feeling of believing in some sense of the word about God and about Christianity and, and all that sort of stuff. And because of this, they take it for granted, perhaps, that, that God will be pleased with them. That they'll be okay, that Jesus will be on their side and with them uh, as they go through life and face whatever it has. You know, when they face a crisis, they might feel moved to pray. They might find it helpful and reassuring. Some people think it's natural to assume that Jesus is with them because of their, their general beliefs. Others perhaps would have more specific reasons to think that Jesus is with them. Perhaps they would point to past religious experiences. They might be formal, they might be informal. Uh, perhaps they were baptized as an infant. Perhaps they were baptized as an adult. If they had the good fortune to fall amongst Anglicans, they might have been confirmed. Uh, or perhaps it's not so much a, a formal religious ceremony as uh, something less tangible, something more emotional, an experience that they had when perhaps they were, they would describe it as a, a, a spiritual moment, a time when they were very conscious of the, the spiritual um, side of life. Or perhaps it's things about Christians' activity which they find moving. They might find coming to events like communion services emotionally powerful and significant in their lives. And because of these religious experiences, which take many shapes and forms, they have this sense that because they have these religious experiences, formal or informal, that that must be evidence that God is with them, that Jesus is with them, that Jesus is with them as they go through life's journey. And finally, perhaps there are those who think Jesus is with them, assume that Jesus is with them because of their, their church involvement and activity. You know, because they come to church. They feel that they're part of the fellowship. They may even have signed up for membership. They may even be volunteering to help with different aspects of church activity. And they may like it. They may feel good about themselves. They may feel that it gives them a sense of purpose and direction and they enjoy the company that they, they find in churches. They think it's natural to assume that Jesus is with them because of their general beliefs, because of their religious experiences, because their involvement in a Christian church. 
Now, believing in God is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being baptized or confirmed. Neither is there anything wrong with being involved in the life of a church. These are all good things. But believing in God is not the same thing as trusting in him. Baptism doesn't create faith. It's a response to what God has already done. Involvement in the work of the church may help you feel good about yourself, but it may not affect how God sees you. And yet perhaps you can understand why people might naturally assume that one or more of these reasons is a reason to assume that Jesus is traveling with them as they go through life's journey. Or at the very least to have this attitude that it must do some good, mustn't it? For Joseph and Mary, perhaps for us it may be a natural assumption But the second thing we need to realize is that it was not only a natural assumption, it was also a costly assumption. There was a real, real consequence that went through it. It may have been natural. It was costly. Think about verses 45 and 46 for a moment. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him. In the temple, after three days, they traveled a day's walk from Jerusalem, and yet it took them three days to retrace their steps until they were reunited with Jesus. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Um, Ruth and I, we have two children. Well, we don't actually. They stopped being children a long time ago. We have a son and we have a daughter, and they're adults and they're responsible for their own actions. Um... But they weren't always adults, and they weren't always responsible for their own actions. And I think more good luck than good banishment, I suspect, I don't think we ever managed to lose them. We did lose sight of them from time to time. Perhaps in a supermarket, you know, you know, you turn around and you can't see them immediately. And it's, it's a heart-stopping moment. Where are they? My parents managed to lose me for 30 minutes in Butlins of all places, but that's another story. (laughs) My dad described it as the longest half hour of his life until they found us. And if you're a parent, I guess you'd be able to identify with that either because you've had that experience or because you've got a vivid imagination and you can imagine what it would be like. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days. What must have that journey have been like? Searching in villages along the way, stopping to ask every passerby if they'd seen Jesus, checking everything, leaving no stone unturned. No wonder it took them three days. Thinking Jesus was with them was a costly assumption. But how much costlier will it be for us if we go through life's journey thinking Jesus is with us And the truth is that he's not there. It will be costly because we will be denied the blessings and the present that God promises to those who trust and follow Jesus. You know, there are many promises in scripture. There is, for instance, the promise in James, in James 1 of wisdom when we need it. There's the promise of being given a way of escaping temptation. 
There's the promise that God and Jesus will always be with us. Promises specifically for those who have a real and genuine relationship with Jesus. Those who are walking with Jesus. Not just assuming or hoping that he's going to be with them. And it will also be costly because we will be denied the blessings of God has for his people in eternity. A few minutes ago, we were thinking of people who might assume that Jesus was with them because of their involvement in Christian activities. There's a section in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel towards the end, chapter 7, that's relevant. Jesus is talking about the end of days, the last day, the time of judgment. And he says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The consequence of assuming that Jesus is with you is not only the loss of God's blessings in the present, but the loss of being in God's presence for all eternity. And let's be honest, facing the consequences and penalty of our rejection of him in a place that the Bible calls hell, not my words, the Bible's. We all make assumptions from time to time. Sometimes we get caught out by them. The important thing is not to make assumptions about things that are are really important. On Boxing Day, I took James to Heathrow for a flight to America. And I did that boring thing that fathers always do. I said, have you got your passport? Have you got your money? Have you got evidence that you've got a plane ticket? And for my pains, I got the look which children save for their fathers. But, you know, have you seen a person roll up at an airport for an international flight without their passport? It's not a pretty sight. You know, there are some assumptions that are important. You need to make sure that you're not assuming it. You need to make sure it's right. Now, that if James had rolled up at that airport without his passport, it would have been a disaster. But he would have got over it. Assuming that Jesus is with you is one assumption. If you get it wrong, you will not Get over it. Mary and Joseph's assumption may have been natural. It was certainly costly. Mistakenly assuming that Jesus is going to be with you on life's journey, it will be costly. But the good news is that while it may have been natural, while it was certainly costly, it was also correctable. There was something that could be done about it. It could be put right. Yes, it took Mary and Joseph time and effort and probably tears and worries, but they found Jesus, and Jesus returned with them to Nazareth. And if you are mistakenly imagining, heading out on life's journey, assuming that Jesus is with you, there is something that you can do about it. It's a correctable assumption. Putting your trust in Jesus, entering into a real relationship with him is neither complicated nor difficult to understand. God asks you to admit that you're not able to please God by yourself and that you need a savior, you need help. God asks you to believe in Jesus and that he died to take the punishment for your rejection of God. 
And he asks you to commit yourself to following Jesus and living for him. Did you notice that Mary and Joseph found Jesus where they'd left him? They found him in the temple. You know, maybe there was a point in your life where spiritually you lost your way. You lost touch with faith, lost touch with Jesus. Maybe you were too busy. Maybe you were overwhelmed by other things happening in your life. Uh, Maybe you faced a disappointment or perhaps made a, a poor decision. Jesus hasn't moved. He hasn't gone away. He is still there. In a sense, he's he's there where you left him. He's just waiting to be rediscovered and reconnected with. Or perhaps there was a time when you had that opportunity to take a step of commitment to Jesus. Admitting, believing, committing. But for some reason, you never quite took the opportunity. Perhaps you meant to, but it never quite happened. And you've carried on hoping that Jesus is with you, but perhaps knowing in the depths of your heart that he's not. Jesus hasn't moved. He's still there. He's still waiting for you to make that step of admitting and believing and committing. Towards the end of our reading, In what are his first recorded words, Jesus told Mary and Joseph, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Jesus' reply tells us that he had a very clear idea that his real mission on earth was nothing to do with carpentry. It wasn't to be a carpenter, but it was to be part of God's work, God's work of salvation, to be a savior. Can I ask you this question? For you, is Jesus a savior who is present with you? Or is he a savior who is absent? As you go through life, as you face its ups and downs and the the, the trials of the journey, is Jesus present with you? Or is he absent? We're almost at the end of 2018. 2019 will be here in less than 30 hours time. Wonder what plans you have for 2019. New school, college, university. New job, hoping for a promotion. Perhaps you plan to get married. Perhaps you're looking forward to retirement. Perhaps you're dreading it. I don't know. But, you know, what plans do you have for 2019? Whatever it is. Absolutely none of us know whether any of them will be realized. None of us can be sure that we're actually going to see the end of 2018. Life's journey might end a lot faster than we think. Do you really want to end end life's journey thinking that Jesus is with you? And discoveries not. And do you really want to do that when it's so simple and straightforward to do something about it? To admit that you need a saviour. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And commit 
to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, when you think about it, this story of Joseph and Mary losing Jesus, it's, it's not a simple domestic story. It's a story of what could happen to anyone. And it's frightening. But Heavenly Father, thank you that it's also something that each one of us, if we need to, can do something about. And Heavenly Father, if that is our situation, Father, we pray that you would give us that grace to take the actions that we need to take. Amen. Catherine's going to lead us in more prayers.